0: morning friends he is the great i am is he not and he knows exactly what you're going through exactly what's on your heart right now not only does he hear but he's responding as we turn to him so we look into god's word we started a new series last week and if you'd like to listen to that online it's available let me start by saying this the older i get the less appealing climbing up ladders and looking over ledges is to me. Uh, Tuesday, uh, we had our elders meeting, and uh, Jan Meerdink has been a longtime employee at the power plant. Jan, why don't you give us a wave there? Yeah, and uh, gave us all the facts and figures of the power plant. Some are pretty amazing. And uh, then took us up to the roof. Now, that's uh, 14 stories up, give or take a few. Yeah. So when I got to the edge of the ledge, I grabbed the rail and kind of creep up on it like this. Yeah, and that's just kind of getting older. It's like, hang on, hang on, hang on, right? And it was good. It was good. I survived that. But the older I get, the less appealing that kind of thing Is to me. Maybe you can identify with that, but that's the challenge before it's this morning because Jesus is looking for some upwardly mobile climbing companions to travel with him. And the only way is up. Here's what we read in Matthew 5, 1 and 2. Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, so he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, his disciples, climbed with him, arriving at a quiet place. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. So you got that picture, and we kind of set the stage in last week's message of what was happening and what this is all about and where it took place. But why climb? Why would we want to climb? I think that's a great question. And so this becomes part two of answering that question. Now, George Mallory, a famous British mountaineer, once was asked, why would you ever want to climb Mount Everest? And his classic answer, because it's there. Because it's there. That's one reason, certainly, to climb. People have climbed mountains for many, many different reasons. Uh, Sometimes they uh, climbed for their own safety and protection, like getting up high enough so that you could see an approaching enemy threat. And so that was for safety and protection. Adrenaline junkies have climbed just for the sake of the adventure. Others have found this kind of uh, sacred experience or deep spiritual meaning up there on the mountaintop. Uh, this connection with God and universe or whatever else they're talking about. And yes, there are some people that climb just because it's there. Why not? Right? Great. Great. Uh, 2,000 years ago, some very ordinary people like you and me made a decision to climb a hill to hear Jesus speak. Now, they came down from that hill blown away by what they had heard. Blown away by what they had heard. And that was kind of part one last week. This is part two, mountaineering with the Master. In chapters 5 through 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we find a passage description of often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, by way of review, why is this called the Sermon on the Mount? Okay, the obvious answer, it was the elevation in which he spoke, correct? And showed you a picture last week of, of that area, that's right, the sanctuary for the greatest sermon ever delivered was a mountain-sized, it was a mountain, but uh, really it was just more of a, like a good-sized hill uh, in our thinking. In this passage, Jesus lays down His principles for how to live in the kingdom that He had come to proclaim. We covered all that last week. That's what His message was all about. There is a new kingdom, and it's here. It's now. So the Sermon on the Mount is 111 verses long. It's by far the longest teaching of Jesus in the Scripture. Therefore, I believe it's extremely significant. This is one message delivered at one time. It is the longest recorded teachings of Jesus Christ. And I believe it contains some of the most important spiritual truths that God has ever given us as his creation. They're right here in these verses. And if we will take the time to mine out the truths that God has for us in these verses, our lives can be amazingly transformed. Just as those original audience came down from that hill saying, this is mind-blowing. All right. So, important spiritual truths. What do you think are some of the most important spiritual truths of the Old Testament? The ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, right? We're going to kind of compare and contrast this. Now, the Ten Commandments are the big don'ts of the Bible, right? Uh, Perhaps if you were raised in the church, uh, you know them. Uh, They're the big don'ts of the Bible. What does God say not to do in the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not kill, covet, steal, commit adultery, Bear false witness? Okay, yeah, I think we got most of them, right? Why? Because those are important spiritual truths from the Old Testament, right? The Ten Commandments. Very basic, foundational to Judeo Christian faith. But the Beatitudes are a different beast altogether, quite different than the Ten Commandments. The Beatitudes contain incredible spiritual blessings for those who will choose To become Jesus' climbing companions. This is about reward. This is about how to live life. It's not about what we shouldn't do. This is all about what we should do. These are characteristics of a kingdom climber. Right? So I think these are absolutely foundational. Now, that you are all settled in and cozy, I'm going to ask you if you would out of reverence and respect for the Word of God, uh, to please stand. And we're going to read the Beatitudes together. Right? This is the first teachings of Jesus Christ. I think they are incredibly important. Here's what he had to say. Let's read together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to be referring to these over the next months. Now, the eight Beatitudes you just read are a unit. I encourage you in your notes or in your scripture, uh, in your Bible, on your device, look at the first and the last. They both end with the same promise. What is that promise? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the first and the last, the beginning and the end, end with the same promise. Now the six sandwiched in between these two offer different rewards. Those rewards are for the present and for the future and on a continuum. Make sense to you? So these are a unit. Jesus is not talking about some haphazard kind of the, spouting some uh, great teaching just as it pops in. He's talking about a unit called for us, the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes, are uh, they're really an announcement. They are an announcement. This is Jesus' initial teaching of how fortunate people are who choose to follow this new kingdom the King has come to proclaim. Those who choose to climb. The Beatitudes are declarations that those who live like this are going to be very blessed both now and into eternity. The Beatitudes are also an invitation to us. That's what Jesus is saying. I invite you, I'm inviting you to become this kind of person right now through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not for heaven, it's not for down the road. This is truth for right now, if you'll choose to be my climbing companion. And that's what He's offering to you and me. Okay? Okay? Now, those who experience the first part of each beatitude, and again, if you've been around life long enough, you know that it's from the darker side, the more difficult side of life, that true growth comes. And Jesus modeled that for us in so many different ways. So he talks about the poor, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger for righteousness. The merciful, the pure, the peacemaker, the persecuted. That's what he's talking about. will also experience the second part of each beatitude. And look at what he's talking about. They will be a part of the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will receive mercy. They will see God, and they will be called his sons. Those are the promises. Okay? Good. Just kind of setting things up here. Now, it's clear from the context of this passage of Scripture that Jesus' teaching is primarily directed to the committed climbing companions, his disciples, but the crowds that were gathering around him, we looked at those crowds last week, also could hear what he was saying. And I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is directing those same words to each of our hearts right now as he has for 2,000 years. This is what the kingdom of heaven is really all about. And no matter where you work, no matter where you live, no matter what you're doing, spending your time, if the committed climbing companion decides to live like this, they are going to be impacted and impactful in life, okay? So after calling his climbing companions up, Jesus sat down, Jesus sat down. The Bible says that's extremely significant sitting down was important if he spoke while kind of strolling along or just kind of hanging out standing up uh, that was considered to be informal it was considered to be unofficial kind of off the record hey we're just chatting here but when he sat down that was significant. When he sat down, all of heaven strained to hear what God would say to his creation. Even today, a professor holds a certain chair in a university or a college that is an honored teaching position. Now, if you understand anything about Roman Catholicism, when the Roman Catholic Pope gives an official announcement from the Vatican, he is said to speak ex cathedra. That is a Latin term meaning... From his chair, or from the chair. In other words, when the Roman Catholic Pope speaks with the authority of God, according to Catholic belief, he is speaking the words of God. He will sit, the word ex cathedra literally means, from his chair. He's speaking with all of God's authority. Now when Jesus sat down and delivered this message, he spoke from the throne of the universe with all the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the hosts of heaven supporting him. He spoke with authority. And this is what he said extremely, extremely important and significant. Now, while seated, Jesus talked to his disciples about the character traits of his climbing companion. What is it going to look like? What's it going to mean? If you truly want to be my follower, I'm going to lay it down right from the beginning, right from the get-go. Now, usually when people hear about making disciples or disciple-making, What immediately goes off in evangelical Americans' mind is that they're thinking about, hmm, this is helping new Jesus followers take the first steps in learning how to live the Christian life. Right? Make sense? That's true. It's true. So church curriculum builds itself around that idea. We're going to help people follow Jesus, how to be Jesus' climbing companions. And we start with how to study the Bible. That's what John just said, right? How to pray, how to share your faith with others, how to participate in the life of the local church, how to use your spiritual gifts, how to be a part of the body of Christ, right? That's what we teach new Jesus followers. Great, fantastic. All of these are good and necessary things to teach. But may I suggest something to you that might want to twist your brain just a little, a paradigm shift that begins disciple-making where Jesus began with the Beatitudes, with the Beatitudes, these are the first things that Jesus taught his followers. Maybe we ought to start from the same place. Think about that for a moment. How do we measure the effectiveness of our disciples? If we are to go into all the world and make disciples, how do we know if we're being effective? How do we know if we're really making healthy disciples? Right? It's God's job to build the church. We're supposed to make disciples in that order. Right? Right? So how do we measure if we're making healthy disciples? Often discipleship is measured by how much we know and how we behave. How much we know and how we behave. Because Christians know this and Christians act like this. Okay, there's a starting point. So the formula would be how much we know, how we behave is discipleship. How we become a Jesus follower? So it's all about information and behavior, content and conduct, knowledge and obedience. And so we begin to measure our discipleship by are people behaving and do what Christians are supposed to do, whatever that is, and is their head filled with Bible knowledge? If so, they will be a disciple of Jesus. Now think with me about that. If that becomes our approach, and again, uh, hang with me here. If that becomes our sole approach is knowledge and obedience, content and conduct. It's all about uh, how we behave in what we know. That's more on us. And so Jesus' followers try to know more. If that's the key to knowing Jesus and being his followers, we have to know More. We have to have more knowledge. Read the Bible more. Memorize the Bible more. Study the Bible more. Read more books about the Bible. Go to more seminars, more studies, more retreats. More, 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 more. And the more Bible knowledge I can put into me, the more of a disciple I will be. Really? 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 On the other hand, we're also going to work more. Because it's all about the words and the work. It's all about knowledge and obedience. I want to obey more. So I'm going to do more. I'm going to give more. I'm going to tend more. I'm going to have longer devotions. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to do this and this and this. All for the glory of God. Because that's what disciples do. Knowing the words and the works of Jesus are vitally important to growing in Him. Do not hear what I'm not saying. Studying the Bible is incredibly important. Memorizing Scripture is incredibly important. Growing in our knowledge of God is extremely important. Serving is extremely important. Yet what I've been learning is focusing on the words and works of Jesus doesn't seem to consistently produce wise and mature disciples. Just the more and more and more part just somehow doesn't equate to being more more like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that knowledge and behavior aren't an important part of the equation. I am saying that it just doesn't seem to tell the whole story. So that puts us in this conundrum of sorts, this religious conundrum in which well, we come to church and we do church things and we behave like Christians are supposed to behave and we know the facts of the Ten Commandments and this is all fun and good. Aren't we living the disciple life? Woo-wee! Really? 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 Our conundrum is that knowledge and behavior are crucial, but they're often insufficient to lifelong transformation and growth of the heart to become more like Jesus. And I come from a generation like this. For those who care a good deal about the teachings of Jesus, for those of us who take sin seriously, and I believe you're here this morning because you do, we take on a great deal of pressure on our lives to live this flawless, perfect life. Life Many of us live with a constant burden We aren't doing enough good stuff And we're doing way too much bad stuff And inside of us is this wrestling going on Because I want to be a a hill climber I want to be a mountain climber with Jesus But I'm not doing enough good stuff i got to do more good stuff Or I'm doing too much bad stuff i got to knock off the bad stuff that I'm doing And so we struggle internally with these issues Huh? We're not holy enough We sin too much So we beat ourselves up We become our own worst enemies And our self-dialogue is always negative And critical and condemning Rather than enjoying the freedom That I find in these beatitudes Of what it means to be a hill climber A mountain climber with Jesus His climbing companion There's great freedom there It's not bondage I've got no more I've got to do more I've got to behave better I'm doing too much bad stuff I'm doing... Oh my goodness what kind of disciples are we really producing here? Where have we gotten off track? What's really happening here? Huh. huh, Now, our study in the Sermon on the Mount is going to show us there is a different way to do this. I'm excited about this. What we call this passage of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount is so fundamental and central to the heart and mission of Jesus. This is what he came to proclaim. This is the heart of Jesus in these verses. Now the first thing Jesus taught in his sermon was the Beatitudes, which we just read. Now Matthew ends his gospel by quoting Jesus as saying go and make disciples of all nations. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. How can we neglect or overlook or minimize what he taught first? If he's saying go into all the world and make disciples what should we be teaching them? The Ten Commandments? Yeah. The Beatitudes? I'm going to start where Jesus started. Right here. This is the kingdom of God. So first things first. What's a Beatitude anyway? The word Beatitude. It's not found in your Bible. It comes from a Latin word. Beatitudo. To describe the condition or blessedness. And so, depending on your device or your Bible translation, it can be translated blessed, happy, fortunate. But we're going to learn more about that word next week. In fact, my whole message is on this one word, blessed. What does that mean? Anyway, but from God's perspective, being always comes before doing. Being always comes before doing. Who we are in Him is far more important than what we do for Him. Jesus invites us into His kingdom and to be on mission with Him in what He's doing in the world, right? But we've got to get the first things first if this is going to be sustainable. I think they're found right here in the Beatitudes. Here in the Beatitudes, Jesus gives us this kind of introductory snapshot to what it means to be his follower. If he would have had his iPhone out, that's what it would have been. If when we allow him to live his life in us, we begin to look more like that snapshot. In fact, I kind of picture is Jesus taking a selfie right there in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're in it. It's us. Climbing with Jesus. It's us in there. Huh. Now, the Beatitudes are so basic to living the Christian life, they need to be at center stage in our spiritual journey, and I believe in the teachings of the church. Are they? Whether we call it exhorting, counseling, mentoring, coaching, tutoring, training, equipping the saints, discipling, I believe it's best built on the foundation right here, the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes. It's the first things that Jesus taught. Why wouldn't we be teaching these things first and foremost? Yet how often are they mentioned? I asked you to give me the Ten Commandments. You can go just like this. If I ask you for the Beatitudes, not working quite so well. Right? I think that's incredibly significant. I think it's incredibly significant. Are the Ten Commandments important? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, in in battle all over this country, uh, from Washington, D.C. to state capitals, around the country, take down the Ten Commandments. It's uh, putting religion, okay, all this, blah, 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 blah. Take them down. I don't care. It's not going to change them. Do with what you want. I don't care. I don't care. Right? Here's my point. Which of you heard more, the Ten Commandments or the Eight Beatitudes? me thinks me thinks this what we do with this forms our view of God and ultimately of life hear what I'm saying is he a God of judgment of wrath, of punishment, of destruction this law abiding smacking on the head kind of God, or Has Jesus come to reveal God in fullness of His character? He is a God of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And the way that you're looking at God right now is either based on the Ten Commandments or it's based on the Beatitudes. And I'm telling you, if we live according to the New Testament, we start where Jesus started, right here in the Beatitudes. Does that nullify the Ten Commandments? Absolutely not. That is For eternity. But Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, to reveal the truth of who God is in all of His fullness. And when we look at Jesus, we look at the Father. And Jesus started right here with the Beatitudes. And yet we are constantly, in evangelical Christianity, sucked back into the Old Testament so that we live by the law. And we're missing the freedom that comes with following Jesus. Oh, my goodness, we're free. Amen. We are free to climb with Jesus. That is his invitation to us. Now, before you get all weird with that, let me caution you. What if we begin with the as Jesus did? Sounds good. Yeah, come in. Huh. Really? Hmm. You know, a fitness instructor emphasizes core muscles. Any fitness instructor is going to emphasize our core muscles. We have more than 400 muscles in our body, every one of them tied to the core, right? If the core is weak, the whole body will be weak. It's dumb to work on your extremities and ignore the core. Eventually, yeah, not going to work out so well. So that's why I do P90 Ab Ripper X nearly every single Saturday morning for eight years. So then I can run four miles or six miles or however far I run on Monday. It's only because I'm doing P90 on Saturday and working on this core that I can run that far, right? Because the core is absolutely essential. If an apple is rotten at the core, the rest of the apple is rotten. I believe the Beatitudes are the core of the Christian life. Huh? They're not difficult to understand, but they're really difficult to live. Why? The Beatitudes, are unnatural. They are radical. They're countercultural. They're counterintuitive. And they're life-changing. And so many of us don't like change. I don't like change. I like it the way it is. I'm comfy. Yes, everything's going well. Why would I want to rock the boat? Huh. They are impossible to live out apart from the enabling power of the Holy Spirit and direct dependence on God. So, let me wrap this up. Although the view of life is so much better up there in the rare air, Oh, we can see so much further. Life makes so much sense when we're looking at it that way. The fear of falling keeps so many of us firmly stuck in the lowlands of life. I don't want to sacrifice. I don't want to give up. I don't want to climb with Jesus. I'm not so sure I really want to. hmm. May I suggest a far more fulfilling way to live? Climb. Climb. Climb with me. If God climbs with us, how can we not reach the summit? This is His invitation to climb with Him. Who will join the climb so we can hear the transforming teachings of Jesus Christ? The first things out of His mouth. This is the way to follow me. This is the way to walk. He's looking for climbing companions. Anybody here? Anybody game for that? Do you dare climb up? hear the truth that God loves you a whole bunch just the way you are and he's got an incredible plan for you and your home and your children and your children's children if we'll but climb who will climb got enough guts to overcome your fear of heights let's pray Father thank you thank you for your invitation to us this morning and I believe there's some courageous people in this room who in their heart of hearts are saying yes count me in Lord I will climb with you I'm not sure where it will lead but I know you're there and that's all I need and for those who are wavering uncertain I pray Father that your Holy Spirit would speak speak words of hope and strength and boldness to come off of that plateau and to begin the ascent Jesus give us the faith to follow you to hear the words that you'll be speaking over these next weeks. Transform us so that we might become your agent of transformation for others. For this gift and this invitation, we say thank you. And Lord, by your grace, I put in my RSVP and say, Jesus, I want to climb with you. Take us, Father, where we've never been and show us your glory. I ask in Jesus' name. And together all God's people said, Amen.